Welcome to the Pitbull Patty Show. I'm your host, Patty Stuckler. We're keeping it real here with straight talk and sharing true stories that will inspire you to change your life. Are you ready for this? Because here we go. Okay, welcome to the Pitbull Patty Show. I am so honored to have my guest today. He's been a very successful business owner, having started a medical billing company years ago, has a beautiful wife and three grown children, lives in Chappaqua, New York, but that's not why he's on today. He is on because he is proving that it is never too late and that you can start living your dream at any time, any age. He has become an award-winning musician who recently debuted his second album, Lonely Town, Lonely Streets. This album is up for Grammy voters' consideration as Best New Artist and Album of the Year, among other awards. His first album, The Real Me, was released in 2014, and he has a top-producing Christmas song, Please Come Home for Christmas, done in a blues style, is very cool. It's my honor and privilege to introduce Frank Shiner. Hey, Patty. Thank you so much for having me on and for that beautiful introduction. <laughs> You're welcome. Very welcome. I got to ask you, I follow you on Facebook and your dog, Baker. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> Baker is just totally cool. I mean, what a what a cool dog. He's, he's a looks like a standard poodle. Yeah, he's a golden doodle, actually. Standard poodle and a golden retriever. He's my buddy. He talks. He says, I love you. My kids have <laughs> joked uh, 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 that they think I love Baker more than them. Of course, I don't. But I said, well, he doesn't talk back. And when he does talk, he says, I love you. So it's kind of tough, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I did see that. That He does actually sound like he's saying, I love you. It's so cute. <laughs> but he also does amazing tricks, like what, they're like mannequin. I mean... You can't you, just about every trick you could imagine. Yeah, he he does. He's just he's very smart, and he's very empathetic, and he's he's a fully registered service dog. So he can go to hospitals and nursing homes, and he's very gentle. Never growled or snarled in his life. He's just really the best animal I've ever had. How old is he? He just turned four. Oh my goodness! Well, I, I looking at he does these uh, for the listeners out there. He does these really cool dog tricks where. Frank has him posed like a mannequin of some kind in some silly pose. And then he literally just freezes and stays like that until Frank says something to, to let him then stop. I mean, it is the cool. And in fact, the one where he's got the dog biscuit on his nose and he just stays totally frozen with his dog biscuit on top of his nose until Frank lets him, <laughs> lets, him go, lets him go stop doing it. And he loves every second of it. He really does. He loves the attention. So. <laughs> I bet he does. He is, he is really a cool dog. I just, I just get such a kick out of him. I'm, I'm sure you get a lot, of, a lot of feedback on him. Well, you know the way to my heart. You just compliment my dog. <laughs> yeah. Forget, forget everybody else, right? <laughs> well, I got to ask you. So, I mean, having been or and still are a very successful business owner in New York and, and really having a career like you've had, how in the world did you start, you know, did you ever get back into singing? Because now you were a singer years ago, right? Is that true? I was an actor singer. I met my beautiful wife, Suzanne, in an acting class many years ago in the village, in Greenwich Village, New York. 
Yeah, we had a whirlwind romance, year and a half. I was in a men's residence and she was in a woman's residence and we couldn't even have guests. So we made sure that we uh, got married so we could finally be alone. And, you know, we were pursuing careers. I was bartending. I was flipping bottles at one of the top clubs in the city. You know, Tom Cruise came to look for me to to shoot cocktail. True story. But I was away on my honeymoon and never got to meet him. So it's like that David Letterman brush with greatness story. <laughs> he came looking for me, but he didn't meet me. Uh, by the way, he did it all wrong in cocktail. I have to tell him one day. And then, you know, we started going through life and I got this big role in a musical. I played a down and out country singer. I played the guitar and it was in a play on tour, went to Boston and we were reviewed by the Boston Globe and Time Magazine and Garth Brooks, before he was super, super famous, was writing the music for the play. So this was a Broadway bound play. Every, everything was set. The investors came in. Garth was writing the music. We were doing cover songs until he was until he finished with the music. We, I was getting paid $145 a week. By this time, we had our first son, Matthew, at home and my wife. And then that year, Garth won the Horizon Award at the Country Music Awards. So he went to superstardom and we said, oh, shoot. As soon as he won, we all knew he was going to pull out of the project, obviously. So he backed out of that project and all the investors pulled and the show went down. So it was at that time we found out our second son, Jeremy, was on the way. So now you're making $145 a week and you have one baby and one on the way and a wife and a mortgage on a little apartment. And that's when I really threw in the towel and just said, I can't be that selfish to pursue a career any longer. I've got to take care of my family. I took a job as a salesperson and went into business and I just put it all on the back burner and forgot about it and did my duty and no regrets. It's been really good to me. And you know, we've been very happy. It was hard in the beginning. You know, we did what we had to do. So fast forward and two decades pass, you know, got my family to a point and my business to the point where I could back off a little bit. And next thing you know, my wife contracts triple negative breast cancer, the most, the most aggressive breast cancer. If it gets out, it's uh, stage four instantly. So we were just knocked out by that. Our daughter had come along at the, uh, by then. She was 10 years old already. And Susanna was going through chemo and radiation. And over five years, it was 12 surgeries, MRSA infections, 22-day stints in the hospital, every complication you could ever imagine. But one day we were coming back from chemo and Suzanne said, you know, we're hungry. There's no food at home. Why don't we just stop at the first place we see? We pulled into a little restaurant And by chance, they were having an open mic jazz night. And Suzanne went up to the counter and put my name on it. And so I said, what are you doing? She said, I want you to sing me a song. And I said, there is no way. And I was stubborn. I refused. I hadn't sung in front of people in maybe 10 years. I always sang at home, but I didn't sing in front of anybody. And she started to cry. And she pulled her hair back, her wig back, and showed her bald head. And she insisted that I get up and sing. And I, how do you, how do you, I, I tease her. I say, you pulled the cancer card on me, you know, but how, how, how do you say no to that? So I got up and sang and I sang one song. I sang two songs. I sang three songs and I ran out of lyrics. So I quit. And it fast forward, the guy that ran that thing had an orchestra and he offered me a job for three months. He bugged me to come work with him. Suzanne finally said, honey, we can be ripped apart from each other at any time. You've got to do this. 
So with her blessing, I took the job with him and I worked four hours every Saturday night at a dinner dance and did every kind of music you could imagine with different musicians every time. And it was from that I met my manager and I ended up doing my first album. Uh, that, I'm fast forwarding two years there, but that's how it happened. Wow. That's, that is an incredible story. So it just was really just something where you just would have never even thought about doing everything you've been doing in the last five or six years had not been for that moment. I, I thought I had forgotten about it. I thought I put it behind me and, it, and I didn't know how much I missed it until I had the opportunity to do it again. But it's funny how you could play tricks on yourself and you could squash something, you squash your creativity or squash you know, your inner desires for a period of time until they rear their head again. And, you know, I was, I was able to squash it and I would have been perfectly happy. I, don't, don't get me wrong. I would have been perfectly happy just going along like I was. We were happy. But on the other side of this cancer thing, thank God she's healthy, by the way. She's completely cured, not, not remission, cured, uh, surgically cured. Now we're eight years from the original diagnosis. Uh, my daughter is 18 now. She was 10 when, she, when Suzanne was diagnosed. Thank God Suzanne's 100% healthy and we're having a ball and everything's better on this side. Family stronger, our relationship stronger, we're stronger. Just our children are better and saw an example of somebody fight to, to fight through something. And for that matter, somebody standing by the person that was fighting through. We're all changed and we're all changed for the better. I, I mean, if I could wish it never happened, I would obviously, but the fact that it happened I just believe you could turn just about any negative into a positive. Well, it, it just seems like it's one of those things that you almost, because, because you're, you're looking at staring in, into the, you know, the face of death, you know, I think that people talk about that sometimes with cancer that, you know, when they, you know, get a second chance, they, it's a totally new perspective on life. Without a doubt, you appreciate every moment more so. Uh, yeah, I just wish we could do that without the, the the illness and the tragedy you know that would be the that would be the real real miracle of life to be able to do that without the controversy and the and the illnesses yeah absolutely it's, it's a shame you have to go through all that but but it sounds like it in some ways it was a blessing in disguise that it that it really made your your relationship your family so much stronger and gave you a new kind of second half with you know no holds barred kind of thing and in fact I, I was wondering do you when you decided to really start performing again you know all the time and really take it very seriously did you ever have fear that you know people wouldn't come see you people would be critical did you have those kinds of thoughts yes it was a lot of fear it was almost panic but I was compelled to do it. So it, it's like there's this drive to do something, but you're petrified to do it, but you still do it. It's a really, it's a conundrum when you want to do something, but you're afraid to do it at the same time. And what happens is that little by little, that ice starts to break and you get a little bit more confidence and you, you go a little further and a little further and a little further and you find a way to put yourself out there a little bit more and so you do it in stages, but it all happened pretty quickly. I think that performing four hours at a dinner dance where you could sing quietly in the beginning when people are eating, and then when they start dancing, you could pick it up and you could start doing dance music. And you could kind of hide behind that a little bit because everybody's busy talking and drinking and whatnot. And then I got a little more bold each time. And 
and got a little more creative each time and tried a little more style each time. And that was a, the perfect scenario for me to get my feet wet again. So I, I was able to somewhat ease into it. All of a sudden, I'm sitting in front of Gary Katz, who is you know the producer of eight Steely Dan albums. And we're talking about doing an album together. And, and it was like it started all over again. Now I have to go in the studio and sing for this guy that has heard everybody and their brothers sing for many, many years. And he's, uh, you know, a, really a recording guru. And <laughs> there I was again. But you know what? You just have to just fall back on your, your own technique and your own love of the music and just go with it. And so I did that. And now I know you reinterpret songs. You put your own spin on classics. Yes. You know, sometimes I think that you have to be really careful because I don't want to say that I'm ever trying to improve on a classic because it's a classic for a reason. So, you know, I don't want to improve on it, but I want to take my own, do my own take of it. And I think there's two things happen. I mean, sometimes there's, there's songs that were by famous songwriters and they're beautiful songs, but they got swallowed up on the, so to speak, a B side of an album or because another album rose to certain popularity or because the song was treated differently. Well, I want to take a fresh take and fresh instruments and a more modern take on that song and, and give it a second chance. So that's one way. The other way is taking a classic that like, for example, one of the songs on my latest album, I did, she's gone, the Hall and Oates classic. Now she's gone. I mean, you can't improve upon she's gone. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. What I found was that people failed to focus on the lyrics any longer because now we've heard it a million times. And I listened to it and I thought, those lyrics are really painful. You know, she's gone. I'd pay the devil to replace her. You know, oh, uh, 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 why? And and I I felt like I could bring a new take on it and, and kind of show the pain of her no longer being there. And so I took that song onto the album. So what I do is I look at a song for the lyrics first. If the lyrics touch me and move me in some way, great. Then I look at it musically and say, can I do anything different? Is there any freedom musically or am I locked into the original way it was done? Because if I'm just locked into the original way it's done, then listen to the CD. I mean, there's, there's no point in me doing it. But if I could take a fresh take on it and have people listen to it a different way, then it means something to me. And the best compliment I ever get is when somebody comes over to me after a show or or after listening to the album, and they say, you know, I never really heard the lyrics to that song, or I never really thought about the lyrics, or that means a whole different thing than I thought it meant. That's what I try to do. I try to give a fresh look at it. So, I mean, it sounds like you're having a blast. It sounds like you're you know, really, really having a great time, you know, producing these albums and, and performing. Did you think that when this all started, even though it sounds like sounds like you didn't say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And in this stage and that stage, it sounds like you started, like you said, you eased into it just for listeners who are thinking, trying to break it down a little bit so that people who are thinking, well, you know, I'd like to do something else. You know, you sounds like you kind of just took one bite at a time, not trying to eat the whole pie at once. And, and really, but did you still think that you would be finding this much success this early? 
No, 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 no. And that wasn't really the goal either. The goal was to enjoy the music and and immerse myself in the music. And if somebody else liked it, that was great. So, you know, the enjoyment part had to be there. I mean, you could be afraid of going on a roller coaster, but it's fun to go on it. So, you know, you're, uh, and it was, it's been a roller coaster. So, you know, although I was afraid, I was still having fun. And I told everybody, I told the management team, publicists, uh, social media people, everybody that works with me, I said, guys, keep it fun. Cause the minute it's not fun, I walk because this isn't my living. Most of what I do is going to charity anyway. In fact, I want to almost, I'm kind of at a point where I'm trying to start almost a, a Newman's own, like Paul Newman did, where all of the profits go to some sort of charity. And I'm still finding my way through that. We just did two big shows in October and it all went to breast cancer awareness research. Uh, of course I pay my musicians, but then after that, all the profits go to some organization, you know, restoration of a theater or whatever it might be. And we're doing more and more of that. So, but it has got to have a purpose and it's got to be fun. And, you know, I really did insist upon that and do insist upon that, but it's more fun. I mean, really, it should be illegal to, to have this much fun. That's how much fun I'm having <laughs> to, to answer your earlier question. Well, that is so awesome because, and, and so inspiring because, you know, when you think about, you know, the fact that you, you had that other, you had your business and you still have your business that has allowed you that freedom. Thank goodness you had that, uh, that life worked out this way so that you don't have that pressure of, you can keep it fun and donate the proceeds, you know, to charity. It's funny because this whole big circle that I've been on, that's come back around, I don't preach, but you know, call it God, call it the world, call it the universe. I don't care what anybody calls it, but it almost felt like I was getting a pat on the back and saying, okay, you've done your duty. You've put your own dreams on hold. Now go and, and enjoy yourself. You know, what a blessing it is to, to ever feel that in your life. Some people never get that opportunity. And th so that when that happened to me and that gratification, being able to, you know, step down as a CEO of a, of a company and, and not have any qualms about doing it, not have any regrets about having done it, not have any, any regrets about stepping down from it, to feel like you left employees in good hands, that they were safe and, and secure, to know that I made the right choices along the way, and then to say, get that pat on the back and say, now go, go have fun. And then I almost started to feel I don't deserve, you know, nobody deserves to have that much fun and that much gratification. Although it was through pain and, and, and sacrifice and illness and everything. But even then, once you get there, it's almost a success guilt. And I said, I've got to have more of a purpose than that. And that's when I started to, to go into the charities and give it a purpose. I, I just, you know, kind of had to do that. Yeah, I, I see what you mean as far as, well, sort of. I mean, I can, I think that, I mean, I do as far as feeling guilty, like, you're, you're able to do things that maybe a lot of other people would love to do and couldn't afford to, to step down or couldn't, wouldn't be in the position to step down from something that they built now, but you've, but you've paid all those dues. You've, you've earned, earned the right to also have fun in life. I mean, do you, do you feel like, you know, I'm curious what role, you know, you see faith in all of that, because I know you're a, a really a faith filled person. I am. I, I think a strong faith. I have to, if I don't need something then, or if I feel like it, like it's not 
it's almost too much for me, but I still want to do it, then the easiest thing in the world is to just say, then I'll just do it for somebody else. You know, we, we give to charity, everybody, you know, in some way gives to charity. And when you give to charity, you give to charity because you want to help people right now, but it also feels good. So there's nothing wrong with it feeling good. You, you, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, sinful to, to, to feel good. Now it would be wrong, I think, to give to charity to just feel good. But if the purpose is to help somebody and the side benefit is that you also feel good, then I think your priorities are straight. So I've made it my mission to try to help people. And the side benefit is I have a ball doing it. And that's just the way I've justified it in my head. It might be wrong. It might not be, but it, it gives me a purpose. And I don't, I mean, I have a, I have a really cool motorcycle and my wife says, just go out for a ride. And I say, no, I don't do that. And she said, well, why not? I said, I have to have a place to go. She said, you can't just go right up, you know, up, the, up the highway and back. I said, no, I d- it doesn't feel right. I need to have a destination. It, maybe it's a restaurant to sit down and have a burger and then come back again. Or maybe it's to go see somebody, but I have to have a destination. <laughs> so uh, my, my, I, I've always been that way. I have to have a purpose for doing something. Well, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I mean, you know, there's a lot of books about that, you know, purpose-driven life. And thankfully, you're in a great position that you've put yourself in. I mean, it wasn't you know, something anybody gave to you, you've, you've earned that. And now you're really just really giving back, which is so awesome, especially when it comes to, you know, breast cancer and research and all those, you know, great charity organizations. I, you know, I've, I've got to ask you though, what for those listening that are really would love to just do whatever it is they, they want to do, but they, you know, they're afraid that they're, they're not going to be successful in kind of recreating a second act. What, what advice would you give somebody that's thinking it's too late? Wow. You're speaking my language right now. It's interesting that you brought that up because my very first album was called The Real Me and it's named after a beautiful Doc Pomus song. And I just fell in love with the lyrics of the song. And what I did is I wrote a show around it. So again, a purpose. I don't just go into a concert. Everything has a purpose. So I would tell stories. It might have been Suzanne's cancer situation, or it might have been you know doing a show out of town. And I would have an appropriate song on the album that would speak to that. And I'd tell a little bit of a story and sing a song and tell a little bit more. But the entire thing was a journey. The entire show was a journey. Each song tells a story, has a beginning, middle, and an end. But it also takes you through an overall journey. And at the end... I had a little speech in there and, you know, the show being called the real me, the theme of the show was who is the real you? Who are you? You might be doing your duty as a, you know, mother, husband, father, sister, daughter, brother, whatever it might be, military person, you're doing your duty, but, but what is it that makes you tick? And it was an encouragement at the end. I I would say to people, Hey, if it's writing a short story that maybe nobody will ever read, why aren't you doing it? You you don't do it just for the success. You do it because that's what makes you tick. Maybe it's a recipe that nobody will ever eat, but you made, but you did it. Maybe it's a, a song that nobody will ever hear, but why aren't you doing it? Because, you know, that's in your soul. That's part of you. You've got to do that. And if you squash it for too long, it has ramifications and a lot of other parts of your life might not be quite happy. You've got to express your creativity because everybody has something. 
and and you've got to express that. So I think my advice to anybody would be just express it. If it's meant to be and it's meant to go further than that, it will. But just express it because you're going to feel better. I mean, I could just walk in a room, close my door, lock my door and sing songs and it's therapeutic because it's just kind of what I do. You know, so it started there and then it started to grow and branch out. And if it never did, I'd still be happy singing. You know, I don't think I'd ever stop singing, but that's just my thing. So I think people sometimes think too far in advance and say, well, I can't do that. I can't go as a singer, you know, I can't go get on stage in front of a thousand people and how would anybody become? And, you know, what if they don't show up and what if the critics don't like me and what if the, uh, no, don't do that. Just sing a song and then see where that takes you and then sing another song and see where that takes you and then write one and see where that takes you. And I think that, you know, take the step, put your toe in the water. And you might just immerse yourself one day. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, if they thought about when you were, a, a, you know, when we were each a young child, what was it that you used to say that you wanted to be? Now, maybe it was something, I don't know, firefighter or cowboy or something, who knows? But but it may be something that really is, you know, you, something that you would actually love to do in your second act. And people just give up on those dreams, I think, too often. That's what I see a lot. They get stuck and they think, okay, this is this is how my life turned out and that's it. And I'm getting old and whatever. So they just give up on dreams. So it's, it's so inspiring to see somebody like yourself that, you know, just totally, you know, recreated your life, at, you know, in your fifties. Well, Frank, that's great advice. And I just want to ask you, what is the best advice that somebody ever gave you along the way at any time? Oh, wow. I've had a lot of really good advice. I had a very wise parents and they've gave, they've given me a lot of good advice. So what I'd have to do is I have to look back at moments that were life-changing. There were a few that were just life-changing moments. Uh, I'll give you a couple of them. The big one I can think of right now is when I went into college for pre-law because my mother said I argued very well, so I must have to be a lawyer. And I was there for one month and I was miserable. I hated every second of it. And it wasn't that my grades were bad. I just didn't like it. So I went to the guidance counselor and I was telling him how badly I hated it. And he said, Frank, if you, uh, if you hate it now in one month, how do you think you're ever going to get through law school? I mean, you're only in your, you're a freshman <laughs> in college. So he said, uh, he said, I can't tell you what to do. All I can tell you is do what your heart tells you to do. That's what the guidance counselor said to me. And I stood up, smiled, and shook the person's hand, thanked them, walked out of his office, walked straight down the hallway and made a right into the theater professor's office and changed my major to theater. And I was a theater major in college. So, And it was an absolute life-changing event in 10 minutes. Totally changed the path of my life. You know, the other one was was when this band leader was trying to get me to come and work with him. And for three months, he'd come a couple days a couple days a week and take me to lunch and cajole me while I was CEO of a company. And I kept saying no, 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 no. I wouldn't say. And he said, Frank, I'm going to tell you what my father told me. His father was a wonderful musician, played with Tommy Dorsey and played uh, played a trumpet and so on. And he said, my father said to me once, "Music heals the soul." Now you think of what we were going through with the cancer. And um, I literally, I mean, I'm not a big crier. I 
teared up right there when he said music heals the soul. And it was like somebody spoke to me and just said, I thought to myself, well, I could certainly use some soul healing right now. And that's when I said, okay, I'll do it. Again, a life-changing event. So although I had so much advice along the way, there's a few moments that where you just, you just felt a shift happen in the space-time continuum, so to speak. But it was, you know, you just, you almost felt like you shifted gears right there. Wow. That's, and it's, it's amazing to think that, you know, how much one person, you know, and you might, it can affect your life forever. And you might be that one person saying something to someone else. And that those people probably didn't even know they were, you know, they just said something from their heart and it matters. But then, then again, you also have to be, and if you want to go back to that advice thing, you also have to be a person that's open to it. I watch people almost on a daily basis, miss the signposts. They miss it. They're like something speaking to them right there. And they just, they're closed to it. That's the one thing I can say, if I'm going to pat myself on the back, I was always open to the change to making an adjustment for somebody else, to making an adjustment for the betterment of my family's future or my future. But, you know, you, you have to be open to that because there are signs. There really are. I, I, just about everybody is faced with an opportunity that would be better than the position they're in right now. And sometimes it's scary to take that because you could end up gambling and settling for worse than where you are right now. Well, that is really, really good advice. I love that. And I got to ask you, I I know just by following you on Facebook that I, I like to ask people about what kind of a personal habit, daily habit they do that contributes to their success. But I, in your case, I have to ask you, 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 I've seen you on Facebook where you will do a basically a forward somersault into bed, jumping into bed. <laughs> Learning and then doing a somersault in literally into bed. I mean, that is the funniest thing. When I saw that, I was like, Frank is crazy. I truly am. I truly am. People, people it's uh, guilty as charged. No, you see, I, I, I won't, there's nothing wrong with age, but I'm not going to embrace it anytime soon and anytime, any sooner than I have to. Uh, I was a trampoline gymnast and a diver through high school, and I've always been of the attitude that if, you know, use it or lose it. And I feel like if I do a somersault into bed five nights a week, I mean, I'd I'd like to say I do it every single night. I used to do it every single night, but if I do a somersault five nights a week, I'll go an awful long time before I ever lose it. So I do it. I feel 18 years old without a doubt. Uh, Maturity wise, I'm probably 15. No, I'm really a kid. And, and, and I, I have a ball and and I'm very serious too. Don't get me wrong. I you know I'm uh, I, th- I think I'm a good father and I'm uh, I'm a mentor and I and I, I you know give my kids advice and other people advice and I'm a boss. And, but on a daily basis, I am giggling and laughing and disrupting meetings by telling funny stories. But I, I just feel like if we've lost our sense of humor and lost our our passion for entertainment and fun what's the point of anything you know there, there there's just about just about every i mean god rest his soul my dad was the the hardest worker i ever met but the funnest person i ever met he he was a, a clown to the day he died at 86 years old and his funeral 
there were 450 people in line. The police chief came out to see him and the fire chief came out and the, the greeter at Walmart came and the kid that cut his grass, everybody came and we laughed and told stories and it was a celebration of life. I mean, you, you, we laugh at funerals because that's what that person would want. That's who that person was. You know, did we cry in between? Of course we did, but you know, I, I just celebrate life and, and, I've been through depression and I've been through being poor. I made $5 an hour running an elevator in New York City, a manual elevator. I've been up and I've been down. And I feel like that, what's that Frank Sinatra song? That's life. I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn, and a king. Uh, you know, I've been at all those places, but I never lost my sense of humor. Well, that is, that's fantastic. And it shows, I mean, it, it really shows how you live your life. And, and, I, and I love that. It's, you know, you work hard, play hard. You know, it's not like you're just playing. You're, you're also working really hard. I don't know if you read a lot of books, but I assume you probably do. So I wanted to ask you if you, is there a book that you would recommend, you know, everybody read? Oh, wow. You know, that's, that's, that's so hard. That's, oh gosh, read that. everybody read. Like what's the one book you think, wow, this is just like a fantastic book. <laughs> I don't want to be cliche and say the Bible. <laughs> Just some of the self-help books that I read in the past, you know, the How to Make Friends and Influence People, A Purpose Driven Life. I like I like the self-help books. I mean, I could rattle off a couple of novels, but they're not life-changing. I think the people I, I like the books about self-reflection. I like the books about helping others. But it's, it's, that's difficult because, you know, people often ask me, what's your favorite song? How do you answer that? How, what's your favorite movie? I, I don't know. What's your favorite book? I always say, <laughs> one, one of the, one guy I gave an answer to, I said, the song I'm working on at the time is always my favorite. And if I actually picked a favorite, I would feel like I was cheating on all the other songs. So I guess I could say that about books too. And I guess I could say that about, just about anything, it's really hard to pick a favorite because I find some value in everything. I find values in the worst movies you, uh, you've ever picked up. I find value in the worst people I meet because if, you know, everybody has some quality, but even if I learn from somebody how not to be, I've had horrible bosses and they taught me how not to act. They taught me how I've seen horrible fathers. They taught, taught me how not to be a father. So I think there's value in everything, even bad books. Yeah, no, I think it's almost, it's, I guess it's kind of like asking, who, you know, who's your favorite kid, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, there's favorite parts of each kid. And there's, there's, there's parts about all three of them that I just want to <laughs> scream. <laughs> but, but isn't that what makes us unique? You know, if everybody was the same, when I sit back and talk about people that I love, I find out that it's their quirks that make me love them the most. It's not the the things that are absolutely perfect. Oh, you know, he can clean a, a he can clean a kitchen or she can clean a kitchen like nobody else. No, that's not the part. It's it's the part when, you know, they they stumble over the words and say something funny or or when they when they have self-deprecating humor or you know maybe they're a little clumsy or whatever it might be that's what makes them so human and so i almost look for the flaws and things to what what is this they said only god is perfect and and to try to be perfect is an insult to god 
I think the, the, the Indian rug makers would, I don't know if it's legend or if it's truth, but that when they hand weave a rug, they purposely make a mistake. They purposely have a flaw in the rug because only God is perfect. And, and I just think that's, uh, if we, when we accept that, when we really accept that nobody's perfect, we can start to celebrate those imperfections. Yeah, that's, I, I'd never heard that, but that's really cool. It's just like, you know, humanity. Yeah, right. Um, it just, it's, a, it's about time we stopped expecting everybody to be perfect. Well, I tell you what, you, you are truly inspiring, Frank. And I just, your story is fantastic. And, it, and I just wish you all the best with, with your family, with your, your, you know, everyone's health. It sounds like, you know, Suzanne's health is great. Thank goodness for that. So I just, how can people find you? Because I know you got this great Christmas song out and you've got your new album. Where all can people um, look you up and contact you? Well, before I tell you that, can I take a moment and thank you for what you're doing with this whole project? Because I think it's wonderful. I think it's inspirational and I'm really enjoying your show, your podcast a lot. Awesome. That means a lot to me. As far as finding me goes... The easiest way is my website, frankshiner.com. It's frank, S-H-I-N-E-R, like a punch in the eye, dot com. You can also find me at Frank Shiner Music on Facebook. I'm really active on the Facebook page. And Frank Shiner Sing, S-I-N-G, on Twitter and Instagram, Frank Shiner Music, and YouTube, Frank Shiner Music. So I'm not too hard to find these days. Wow, that is so awesome. So frankshiner.com is your main main website. And obviously Facebook, YouTube, you can find find you and, and download your music and all that. And, and on iTunes, you can just go on iTunes. Oh, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, all of the streaming services, Pandora. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. It just, it means a lot to me that you were able to uh, be my guest and to really inspire Lots of people out there that are thinking, you know, that, you know, that the, the second half has to be the same as the first half. So I, I really, really want to appreciate that. And, uh, and just to give kind of a wrap up of my own take, I mean, I, I really think that people, you know, they, they give up on their dreams somewhere along the way. We become adults and just kind of become very dutiful and responsible. And, and that's all great. But I think like Frank says, I think you need to, to look for the signs that are out there and really, you know, follow your passion. When when I started the podcast recently, it was something I'd been wanting to do for a long time. And really, I enjoy my purpose is really, I feel I enjoy connecting people and really kind of bringing this podcast is able to bring you, you know, Frank out there to lots of people all over the world, in fact, and uh, that they might not be exposed to maybe a nugget of advice or inspiration that they would not have heard anywhere else. So I, I find that that's a, such an amazing platform to be able to connect people, really cool people doing really cool things. And I just, I hope a lot of people can, you know, can learn a lot from all of my guests. And, and just to give a quick, quick story, when I think about a second half, not just my own, but my father, he was a Air Force pilot and uh, retired after 20 years and was always an entrepreneur. So he started a business, became a railroad owner out in Iowa and Nebraska and other places. And I was in People Magazine in the 80s, Jack Haley, was his name. He's, he's deceased now, but 
you know, he had some turn of events with his business and had some accidents on the train that cost, uh, was, was really over leveraged, cost him everything. He owed millions and was flat broke at 56 years old, other than his retirement from the Air Force, but owed millions of dollars. And he refused to file bankruptcy. He, he really decided, nope, that's not for me. I'm going to, I'm going to reinvent. I'm going to recreate. Started a business that's still in existence today, Dial Equities. And he, where they buy apartment buildings all over the country and, and do uh, partnerships and, and so forth. And so, you know, he, by the time he, he passed away, he was quite wealthy and employed a lot of people. And that, like I said, that company is still today. And I asked him about that before he died about being 56 years old and being broke for the first time. And really how scary would that be? Not only are you broke, but you owe millions. I mean, so he just said, I just turned over every rock. I just, that, that was his advice was I just started turning over rocks until, until he found the right path for him, which was in real estate and really then starting a business and and really running from there. So he, he didn't give up. He just kept pursuing. And by the way, he did pay back all those millions of dollars to those investors and so forth. So, you know, he's really, you don't have to look far. I don't think most of us have to look far for those types of examples, but you do got to look for them. And I think you need to realize that it's never too late to to recreate your own life, your own path, and, and really just not be afraid. So that's, that's my take on it. And uh, I'm just so happy that Frank was able to be with us today. But this wraps up an episode of the Pitbull Patty Show. And remember to take time to create a master plan for your life because people who fail to plan, plan to fail. So until next time. 